1: and good morning. I'm Gary Randall thank you so much for joining me today. It's Friday September the 29th 2023 in the year of our Lord on September 29th 1938 British, French, German and Italian leaders concluded that Munich at the uh, Munich Agreement was aimed at appeasing Adolf Hitler by allowing Nazi annexation of Czechoslovakia's Sudetenland. Today, in 1789, the U.S. War Department established a regular army with a strength of several hundred men. Today, in 1929, London's reorganized police force started. They went on duty. They became known as Scotland Yard. Today, in 1962, Canada joined the space age. It launched Alouette 1 satellite from Vandenberg Air Force Base in California. And today, in 1965... President Lyndon Johnson signed the National Foundation on the Arts and the Humanities Act of 1965, creating the National Endowment of the Humanities, the National Endowment for the Arts. That is one of the worst, most degrading things that a president has ever done in, the, in recent history of the United States, in my opinion. That, those, that National Foundation of Arts and the Humanities Act... The National Endowment of Humanities and the National Endowment for the Arts has created more vile, um, rotten, immoral, so-called art than anyone in the history of this nation. I don't know what Lyndon Johnson was thinking, I guess just to appease the left and trying to create a name for himself. They're the people that under the guise of art, have put out like math. I mean, and the and our tax money goes to these people. They're commissioned through these in the endowment uh, of the arts and endowment of the humanities. They have created art, quote unquote, such as a, a jar filled with urine with a cross inside. And I could go on and on the list just from memory. It's very, very troubling, but that is what it is. But that's what was started by Lyndon Johnson, 1965. Today in 1978, Pope John Paul I was found dead in his Vatican apartment just over a month after becoming head of the Roman Catholic Church. Senator Diane Feinstein passed away last night. You may have heard that on the news this morning. She was 90 years old. Governor Gavin Newsom will appoint her someone to her fulfill her term in her seat. there's a lot of pressure this morning on Newsom to uh, go as far left as he possibly can. I've seen no indication that he'll resist that but we'll see what happens anyway she was the oldest I think the oldest woman I'm, I might be wrong on this I think she was the oldest woman ever to serve the, or the longest term of a woman in Congress, I think. There's a news piece that is hard to find this morning. I want to particularly talk to those of you in Oregon just for a moment, but for all of us, we should know about this. The news is shying away from this. They're not covering it for obvious reasons. At least I, I looked at some local news stories And I I couldn't find it anywhere, but I did find it in, of all places, Charlie Kirk's organization, Turning Point USA, based in Scottsdale, Arizona. They said a male student who identifies as a female was captured on video violently attacking a female classmate in the halls of an Oregon middle school. The students reportedly attend Hazelbrook Middle School in Tualatin School District near Portland, Oregon, Tualatin is a close, fairly close suburb of Portland. Most of you know that. The video shows multiple students filming while a transgender identifying student violently throws a female, a girl, to the ground after hitting her several times, grabbing her hair, using it to fling her side to side while screaming at her. None of this, I couldn't find any of this in in the news. It just isn't news. Crying, the young female victim said in shock, I can't breathe, I can't breathe after the vicious attack. It's unclear what provoked the student to attack the classmate, if anything. However, the 12th and police responded to users on X, formerly Twitter, informing the public that they are currently investigating the assault. But they said, because it involves juveniles, we are unable to comment further. Well, I suppose there is a thread of truth in that. I mean, they don't put out names and things of juveniles, but I think it is with some glee that a lot of the people on the left are just burying this story because they don't want it out there. Charlie Kirk responded. He's a good guy. He's the CEO and the founder of Turning Point USA. They have 260,000 people involved in that thing now nationally, and it's, it's just a, a, a movement. He's a very committed Christian and most of the people involved with him the kids and students and so on are Christians, but not all of them some of them are just conservative They're not necessarily Christians as we would identify them but anyway, he said investigated when She was clearly attacked from behind by a biological male that is far stronger. It was planned and recorded. You cannot go this you cannot let this go or it'll happen again and again Kirk shared the horrifying attack as well. He said, a male student sneaks up on a female student at Hazelbrook Middle School in Tualatin, Oregon. He slams her to the floor before pulling her hair and punching her in the face multiple times. He said, that's not a mental disorder at all. It's an upscale, fairly upscale, um, he says, upscale um, suburb, he said, with average... Uh, Salaries above average for most suburbs. On Thursday's edition, yesterday, of WABC's Sit and Friends in the Morning in New York City, New York City Mayor Eric Adams responded to a question on his frustration about the migration situation in New York and the city's status as a sanctuary city by stating that, I never said, come one, come all. He said, people attempted to give that impression. That has never been my impression. I, he's talking about himself not having the impression that he said that. I guess that's just semantics. But anyway, the host of that, Sid Rosenberg, he said, a lot of your critics say the same thing, Mayor, Mayor Eric Adams. He said, now he's frustrated. He's angry. He can't handle the situation. Who could? Okay. But he was the same guy, Mayor Mayor Eric Adams, and he was talking to Adams at the time, and and he's calling him by name to himself, but he said, who was yelling and screaming, hey, we're a sanctuary city, come one, come all. He was that same guy that when the buses first got here was right there shaking his hands of the people. He's the same guy that is putting these people in four-star hotels. Why are there still hundreds of people sleeping outside the Roosevelt Hotel, some of our finest establishment? He's that guy. So, okay, he's upset now. Where was that Eric Adams a year ago? What would you say to that, (laughs) Mr. Mayor? Well, Adams then started going through this long discourse, and I won't quote it, but the long discourse about how people came to Ellis Island. They came from Ireland. They came from Greece. They came from Africa. They came from all places in Europe, and they were all seeking a better life. Well, Rosenberg, the host of of this Sid and Friends in the Morning, it's uh, highly uh, followed the program. They have a lot of listeners. Rosenberg then cut in and he said, wait a minute, Mr. Mayor. He said, in all fairness, those people did it legally. You talk about Ellis Island? He said they were vetted. What's going on here is ridiculous. These people, my kids, can't even go into school without showing proof of vaccination. He said, you've got little kids, God bless them, it's not their fault, showing up in schools all over the city who have not been tested for anything. So he said, you can't compare what happened at Ellis Island, Eric, to what's going on now. He said, this is insane. Ellis Island was legal immigrants. These are not. Adams responded, and he said, well, first, let me be, just be clear on something. He said, I'm very passionate, and I find it disrespectful whenever someone shows passion. He said, doesn't have to be me or anyone else that all of a sudden is angry. I'm passionate. I'm a passionate New Yorker. I have a New York attitude. What I did is what all of us have. We all have done in this city. There's a reason the Statue of Liberty folks sits in the harbor and on and on and on. That is a pathetic attempt of the mayor of the largest city in America trying to get around the idea that these people are way out to lunch and they're hypocritical they're the Pharisees of our times so is the president the Pharisees of the New Testament were known as those who wrapped their righteous robes around themselves while publicly professing their devotion to God and to personal virtue they were hypocrites Jesus noticed their hypocrisy and called them out often. In fact, one time he called this group of people, the Pharisees, he called them whited sepulchers, tombs whitewashed white on the outside and rotten on the inside. The next time a person <coughs> excuse me, on the so-called Christian left, a sojourner, they like to call themselves, Begins to explain to you how open borders is an act of righteous biblical compassion. Share the following story with them. The story I'm about to tell you, including what the Bible says about illegal immigration. I'm going to give you some resources in just a moment. But let me get to the story. First of all, Senate Republicans held a press conference on Tuesday of this week to detail the horrors of President Joe Biden's open border policies, which the White House continues to claim are orderly and humane. That, of course, is a lie. There's nothing about it that's orderly and humane. They keep saying the border is not open. The border is open. Thousands, tens of thousands are crossing the border. We don't know who they are. We don't know what diseases they carry. We don't know what their intent or motive is. Maybe it's coming here to have a better life maybe it's coming here to get money to send back to their impoverished family in Central America I've been with these families I've spent time with them I've lived with them at short periods of time for a week or two at a time not for a long period of time I've been in their homes I've helped them start churches build churches I know those people in Central America and they're poor they're very poor And a check from their son or daughter in the United States working would be very helpful to them. I get all that. I also know that God loves them and he cares about them. But I also know that the Bible is very, very clear about illegal immigration. God designed the world and the population of the world around borders and national sovereignty. And there is an abundance Of Bible teaching that supports that. Alabama's freshman Senator Katie Britt didn't hold back after she'd been taken to the border. First time she'd been there, apparently. She talked about the women she met during a recent visit to the U.S. southern border. Senator Marsha Blackburn, Ted Cruz, and others took her down to the border. She was deeply moved, in fact, passionate, I hope you are as well. I, I, I'm I, not sure we're set up to play her comments in my studio, so I'm not going to attempt to do it and put you through it and give a heart attack to all of the engineers in the different stations that we're on. But I'm tempted to. But go to our website, website faithandfreedom.us, and um, you can see that see that on a blog that I wrote today on that on our website faithandandfreedom.us. and on there is a video of her. It's about three or four minutes long. It's not not very long, but she's talking about her experience there. She's very very passionate. And uh, Ted Cruz is with her. Senator Marsha Blackburn and some others uh, from the from the Senate are there with her. But she is, is she said this is not the American dream. That's an American nightmare, and it blows up the hypocritical notion that Biden's open border policy is somehow Christian and compassionate. She goes on and on about it. She's, I mean, she's really, she talks about how that she and Marsha Blackburn talked to one woman that was there. And, and this woman explained to her, if she, if she had no idea what she was getting into when she started coming. They told her the border was open and she found out, you know, a, a lot of things she didn't know and blah, blah, blah. But she said, she talked about how she's being raped multiple times every night. She told them how the men come in and the men go out. It's a horrible, horrible mess at the border. Republicans are in a spending fight with Democrats now as a government shutdown looms with no end in sight for the flow of illegal immigrants into the country. And the immigration issue is tied to some of the Republicans resisting signing off on this bill to so keep our government so-called in business and not shut it down. The government doesn't get shut down. If they don't sign a bill, I mean, that, that is very misleading. Yes, there are some things that are shut down, national parks, and there's a list of them. But there's a whole list of things that aren't shut down. I'm not saying that it's, it's non-consequential, but it isn't at all the way it's presented. Everything is a horror story today in our culture. Whether it's climate change, whether it's the government's going to get shut down. They, I mean, the lights are not going to go out. We're not all going to be living in darkness I mean, I hope they work something out, but good grief. We go through this every how many months? You get tired of it. But anyway, it's crisis time again, and they're talking about that. But the the issue has to do with uh, about the border. And if they could work out something on the border, I I suppose some of the the Republicans that are are refusing to go along with any kind of a deal that uh, Kevin McCarthy, Speaker McCarthy, comes up with. So they're working on that, but it's tied to this border thing, and this border issue is a is a growing cancer on America and on, on the world because we can't function under this leadership. This is a feature story, and of all publications, it was in the New York Times, and I know the motive behind the story. It wasn't to make my case, but I think it kind of does. And I want to share this from you. It's called The Kid's on the night shift. New York Times, yesterday. They're exposing an underground labor market that's made up of illegal immigrant miners in American factories. The work shift, uh, the work night shifts in dangerous conditions to pay their human smuggling debts and to satisfy their Mexican drug cartels. But they told one story. And again, this touched me. This kid's from Guatemala. i Spent so much time in Guatemala. Again, I, I know those people. They're they're good people, most of them. The bad ones are really bad. But there's good people in Central America and Latin America and all over the world. But this one kid, it's a story. And I'm going to share it with you from the New York Times. Late on a Thursday night, Marcos, who had just turned 14, bundled up in a green rubberized overhauls and a matching jacket that was too big for his slight shoulders, He packed a pair of steel-toed rubber boots and two layers of gloves because even a small tear could lead to a chemical burn. As others in the house slept, a cousin drove him to his cleaning shift at the Chicken Slaughterhouse, a half-mile-long industrial complex on a stretch of bare Highway in rural Virginia, set behind hedges and a tall mental fence. When Marcos and the rest of the cleaning crew got there after midnight, the plant had a putrid smell workers sometimes felt they could taste. They sliced through water, grease, and blood, which drained into a channel that snakes around the plant under the grates. Marcos gathered up chicken pieces left by the daily shifts, working quickly because the whole facility had to be sanitized by 5 a.m., he took the covers off the channel, began using a pressurized hose to spray the machines down with 130-degree water. He came from a village in Guatemala to this little town on the eastern shore of Virginia several months earlier. The bell caught the sleeve of Marcos's baggy jacket, pulled him across the floor. Hard plastic teeth ripped through his muscles, tearing open his forearm down to the bone. By the time someone heard his screams and shut off the power, his arm was limp a deep triangular gash running down the length of it. A rope of white tendons hung from his elbow to his wrist, horrifying the workers who gathered around him. He understood from their faces that something was badly wrong, but but he didn't feel any pain as the wound began gushing blood, and he started to lose consciousness. The morning after Marco's injury, workers in Dreamland began talking about a child whose arm had been nearly torn off at the plant. Word soon spread through town. There were reasons that supervisors, teachers, federal inspectors, and even police officers had said nothing for years about children working at the slaughterhouses. Everyone understood that the children were under extraordinary pressure to earn money to pay off their travel debts and to help their families back home. Marcos woke up alone in a hospital room in a tangle of intravenous tubing and beeping machines. He knew the children were not supposed to work at the plant and now he understood why. But he worried about what his parents would do if he didn't recover. They still owed more than $6,000 for his journey north. He believed he had got to get better and he's got to persuade his bosses to hire him back. Now, the New York Times is writing this, and they go after Purdue and some of these big chicken people, and and I suppose there's things to be said about the way they operate there, but that's not my point. But the New York Times, either inadvertently or just carelessly, makes the point. This is the kind of thing that Joe Biden is creating through his so-called compassionate. That's just a word that they use to try to push a deadly agenda whether it has to do with human sexuality, whether it has to do with the institutions of marriage and other sacred institutions in our culture, or whether it has to do with little kids from Guatemala. They're not giving them an opportunity by opening our borders. And I promise you, you can multiply that by 10,000 times, that story of that little kid who got into that situation. I'm not saying it's, His fault. I'm saying it's Joe Biden's fault. He's trying to find his way and he sneaks across the border. He comes in with a bunch of other people illegally because we can't manage our border. We've chosen not to. And this little kid, who knows what happens to him now that he's not productive anymore? This is the big lie in our culture today. And all of this, all of this breastbeating about how compassionate the left is and how we talk about the sojourner and we misquote the words of Jesus and the and the words of Moses in the old testament having to do with strangers and sojourners and all of this we misquote and we misrepresent the word of god god is not for this kind of thing this is not compassion it's not godliness it's not righteousness it's demonic. It was never intended by God that illegal aliens fled into any country. And it's not of God that they fled into this country because that isn't God's plan. On February 15th, 2021, this Steve Cohen wrote for the State of the Planet. He writes kind of, he's one of the oracles of the left. He's always kind of defining the left to the uninformed in America. Here's what he said. He said, It is difficult to imagine two people as different as Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Trump, born to wealth, taught to repress feelings. Biden, a man of the working class, deeply shaped by misfortune and his devout faith. But with the great gift of connecting over shared emotions. We've gone from the least empathetic leader in my lifetime to perhaps the most empathetic. And he goes on and on about how empathetic Joe Biden is because he has essentially opened the borders to the U S he continues this Cohen. He said in a presidency that is less than one month old, president Biden has reassured the dreamers that they could, would not be abandoned, began the process of welcoming refugees, started to reunite immigrant parents separated from their children. And most importantly, refocused America on the issue of impoverished children whose heart wouldn't be moved by that the problem is it's a lie this is the left view of the border crisis ralph dollinger is head of capital ministries he's uh, it's a ministry to our elected officials in washington dc he started the ministry it's significant but it's not so public But he's written an in-depth study on what the Bible says about our illegal immigration problem. And again, we don't have time in a half-hour program to go through this. It's a study. It's one that he made with a number with a lot of our elected officials in Congress. Not everybody attends his studies, obviously, but many do. Particularly the, the conservative Christians in Congress. So, I have taken that and I've put it into the my blog or my article today on our website. Again, we just don't have time, but I felt that it was important that we get out his research and his teaching, biblical teaching, on this matter. And so I've put it in my blog. Often I will take just a summary of what someone has said and share it on the radio, and I'm going to continue to do that. But in this case, I felt very strongly that this whole thing needed to be out there. And I know some of you aren't on the internet, and I, I hear f- from you, and I, and I understand that. But most are, and if you would take a look at that, we don't we don't get anything from the traffic on our website. We don't advertise on our website. We will not advertise on our website because then you can't control the images, and believe me, they're not what we're trying to trying to do through this ministry. That they can put on there once you open up to advertising. But anyway. That is that it's called, What the Bible Says About Our Illegal Immigration Problem. And I would encourage you to take a look at that and read it. It's a three or four minute read, and you can also see the video of the the, the new senator that I was talking about a few moments ago, and her first experience in going to the border. But based on biblical teaching, Dollinger says, what follows from these exposited biblical principles are at least six applications relative to immigration. These need to be manifest in comprehensive immigration reform in order to create laws that are in line with and pleasing to God. And then he goes through them. Foreigners should not be allowed unregulated entry into a country. Borders and oceans should be impenetrable so as to discourage illegal entrance. Foreigners should not be able to partake in any government entitlements, and so on. And he has all of the scripture. To support that. It's very, very important. We're living in unbelievable times. The Bible calls them, Paul called them perilous times. They are. Yet God is good and God is with us. Each day I try to encourage all of you who are listening to this program that God is in control because he is. These are difficult times, and it would be easier, and a lot of pastors do, to just avoid the issues of our day. They're tough. They're complicated in many cases. They're very—Satan is alive and well at the moment, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Have a great weekend. I'll see you here on Monday.